1999, he was appointed the dean of the Bible school there and has since been appointed to the missions uh, director position with a mandate to oversee all new church planning and Bible school planning, both nationally and internationally. So that is great. That's, that's our heart. As well as continuing as the principal of the Christian Family Church International Bible School. So you have a lot on your plate, bro. How do you keep so thin? And, uh, and obviously, he then has a very deep knowledge of the scriptures, but also an understanding of revival culture, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so we embrace that word and spirit working together. And once you welcome Andre as he comes up, Pastor Dr. Andre, it's such a pleasure to have you, my friend. Good morning, everybody. It's wonderful to be here and to be hosted by your wonderful pastors. Um, I got to meet them for the first time this morning. So, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it's, I have the love of my life with me. She doesn't get to travel the world with me most often, but I have her when I'm in South Africa. So this is my beautiful wife. We've been dating since she was 12 and I was 13. Yeah. Fell in love with her. I was standing on the beach with a friend of mine, an Italian guy. He's getting married only now in December. Some people are just slow on the uptake, you know. So, so he's getting married in December. And I was standing next to him. I had my boogie board under my arm. And this young lady walked past me. I still remember she was wearing a, it was a combination bikini, black bikini bottom with a purple bikini top. And I looked at him and I said, I was 13 years old. I said, I'm going to marry that girl. And hey, we got married. Next year's our 25th wedding anniversary. Praise the Lord. I have two beautiful daughters. My eldest is Shanna. She's 21. She's studying at Tux. And my youngest twin, Rebecca, is 20. And she's studying, yeah, close, 18. <laughs> you say tomato, I say tomato. Um, and she's studying at, she's studying at AFTA um, in Bromfontein. So, so she's, you know, she's a drama queen. I always said she was born for the stage, the first stage out of town. So she's a drama queen. She's like her mom, but it's wonderful to be with you. I bring you greetings from Apostle Theo, my senior pastor and my spiritual father, whom I've served faithfully full-time for 20 years now. And you know the great thing about the Elijah, Elisha anointing? He served him for 20 years, and then he got a double portion. So by the in the name of Jesus, I'm in that double portion. I'm in that double portion um, anointing. Praise God. Thank you. The anointing produces effortless success. Hey? I need a bit of more of God's super on my natural. I'm no good in the natural. Trust me. She married me when the natural. I'm no good in the natural. So it's wonderful to be with you today. And um, I really feel privileged to be. I have so many things stirring in my heart as I've been praying and seeking God about what to share with you this weekend. And I, um, and I don't say this because it's a cliche, but I do believe that this is a divine moment. This is the thin place. And I'm looking forward to agreeing with you in prayer more than anything else for his glory. Everything we do must be for his glory. If you're praying and trusting God for something, you'd ask, Lord, how are you glorified through this? We were created for his glory. The glory of a fish is to swim. The glory of a bird is to fly. The glory of man is to be like God. And so we are called to glorify the Lord. And I pray today that as God answers your prayers, that he'll be receiving glory. I believe the Lord is more glorified when we're prosperous than when we're poor. God gets more glory when we prosper than when we're poor. So God wants us to go up higher. Can somebody say higher? higher? Higher. And so I'd just like to open up in prayer this morning, and then we're going to get straight into the Word. I have much to say to you. I would encourage you, unless you're very quick with your Bible and very quick with writing, you can take notes. Otherwise, I'm sure it's being recorded. And you can, get the, you can get the DVD or whatever, but that will, that will form part of a study. I'm going to be sharing a lot of scripture with you as I take a look at this wonderful subject, revival in the supernatural. I mean, hallelujah. Hey? To have a theme like that, we're called to live supernatural lives. We're not called to the ordinary, folks. The moment I begin to live ordinary, I say, listen, Lord, something's wrong here. Fix me up. I've got to get back into the flow of the supernatural. Eh? And so we're going to be looking at this one. I'm going to try and hit both of these themes um, one shot. And by the grace of God, you'll be stirred up and believe. Is that okay? But let's, let's get straight into it. Um, by means of an introduction, Asaph was a, a wonderful psalmist. 
Um, he was entrusted by David to lead worship. And if you go read Psalm 77, and I'm not going to get into that. I just want that to be an introduction as I flow into it. Asaph was, uh, the reason I mentioned that he was a praise and worship leader is because you'd think that somebody in those kinds of echelons, only three priests at that time were responsible for leading praise and worship in David's court. And Asaph happened to be one of these guys. And you think that the praise and worship leaders, because they're in the presence of God, they always got things together. You know, you look at them and you say, oh, Jesus, their life is so easy. <laughs> here I am sitting over here. They're just worshiping. There's not a, there's not crow's feet in their eyes. They just, you know, they're living life. But here you find this guy, Asaph, in Psalm 77. I mean, he's, he's caught in kind of a, a state of flux between, between the pressures of life and the miracles of God. And um, he, he, he longs to see the miracles, but yet he's not seeing them in his current situation. Read Psalm 77. It tells a beautiful story of a guy that was responsible for writing worship music and singing worship and praising the Lord. But yet he finds himself in a difficult place. But one thing you find out about this guy and how he got back into the flow of God's miracles. He mentions the word remember over and over and over again in Psalm 77. And I want to start by means of an introduction to say that if you want to get back into the supernatural flow of God, if you want to see miracle of, listen, we're going to be sitting around a table one day with Moses and Elisha and Elijah and Paul and Jesus. And you know what, guys? I don't want to be caught sitting to Mo, sitting across the table from Moses. And he bumps me and says, listen, what miracles did God do in your life? And I'm saying, well, remind me what he did in yours. Well, for me, he parted the Red Sea. For us, he fed us for 40 years. And, and here I come and say, well, he paid off my car once. Listen, the company we're going to be keeping in heaven one day. I'm telling you, the Bible's was, Bible was written about these guys. You know what I'm talking about? I don't want to be caught off guard and say, well, yeah, I remember 1984, he healed my cold. When Pastor Andrew laid his hands upon my head, you know, I toiled my whole life. I was just so, the miracle God did for me is that I survived when I, up until the point when I was 72 and Jesus took me home. Nah, 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 nah. That won't do for me. I want Moses to blush when I speak. I want Moses to shrink back and think, oh, yes, that sea parting thing that you did for me, Lord. And Joshua saying, listen, Joshua 10, when I went up against those guys and the sun stood still and the moon stood still, why didn't you just rather use Andre? <laughs> Not because of my name, but for his glory. It's for his glory. God wants to do amazing things through us. And so you read the story of Asaph and he just says, he says, I will remember. And he intentionally goes back and reads about the parting of the Red Sea. He intentionally goes back and meditates on the miracles of provision. You see, because whatever you are seeking is seeking you. Whatever you are seeking is seeking you. When was the last time you woke up in the morning ready and waiting and expecting a miracle? expecting something phenomenal to take place in your daily walk. When was the last time you got up with it? Listen, blind Bartimaeus, expectancy is the birthplace of miracles. It starts there. You have to begin to expect it before you will ever see it. Apart from the teaching on it, you have to expect it. And that's what Asaph did. He says, I will remember what you did for Moses. I will remember what you did for David. And you can't help. It's a simple principle. But it will initiate the birth of the supernatural ongoing in your life. So how many of you are ready to live out the rest of your life as the best of your life? So when we sit in heaven with these guys, we're in good company. They're in good company. Amen. I believe God's called me to great things. I'm going to demonstrate it in the Word of God. You might be thinking, yeah, but I'm not Moses. That's the problem right there. We have a better covenant. The Bible says we have a better covenant, not ratified with the blood of goats and sheep, but ratified with the blood of Jesus. We sing there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Jesus didn't just die so we could be saved. He died so we could live for His glory. So getting to know the Lord, remembering Him, 
I love the I love the the amplified translation of Philippians 10. It's one of my life scriptures. How many of you have got a life scripture? One of those scriptures that really just speak about the desire you have for the things of God that really define your walk and your relationship with God. Well, I have one, Philippians 3.10. And this is what Paul says. He says, for my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him. Paul resonates the heart of Moses, who in Moses in Exodus 33 said to the Lord, when God said, I'll give, my, I'll give you my presence, Moses says, well, that's wonderful. If your presence doesn't go with us, nobody will recognize us. But what else? I mean, what else is there? Moses says, what else? The Lord, what do you mean, what else? He says, I want to know you the way you know me. So Paul says, for my determined purpose is that I may know you, become more deeply and intimately acquainted. Paul didn't say my determined purpose is to write two-thirds of the New Testament. My determined purpose is to have the biggest church in Ephesus. He didn't say my determined purpose is to, be a, is to sell the most number of CDs, write the most number of books. He says, my determined purpose is that I may know you. Paul understood that everything that he achieved in life was outflowing from his quiet time and his relationship with Jesus. I believe when he looked back, he said, Lord, they're reading my letters. What's up with that? I just wrote to the church of Ephesus. I just wrote to the church of Colossians. I just told him, and yeah, they're in canon. Look at all the churches in Asia Major and Asia Minor. He's just saying to Jesus, Lord, all this was achieved simply because my determined purpose was that I may know you. That's all I wanted. Jesus defines eternal life in John 17, 3. He says this, now this is eternal life, to know the one and only true God and Jesus whom he has sent. So what is your determined purpose? You see, the knowledge of God must be our ultimate pursuit. God doesn't want to be as understood as what he wants to be pursued. God does not want to be as understood as what he is pursued. I've learned something. I have a master's in theology. I've got two doctorates in ministry. I've learned the more I learn, the less I know. We're going to be studying this Bible for, throughout eternity. So to think that we can grasp even a fraction of the depth and the weight of God's glory while we spend these short 75, 85, 95 years on earth in the light of eternity. I tell you what, just when you think you know something, God says, uh-uh. So one of the easiest ways in my experience to get to know God, if this was Paul's determined purpose, if this is something that Moses wanted, Daniel said in Daniel 11 verse 32, he says, They that know their God shall be strong and do great exploits. Knowledge of God, an intimate knowledge of God and his son Jesus is the beginning point of anything you will ever achieve for God. It must start there. That's why the devil's not trying to kill you or make you sick. He knows that God can heal you and God can prosper you. The devil's trying to distract you long enough to take you away from the word. That's what he wants. The Bible tells us, seed is sown. Immediately the enemy comes to steal it. He's in church every Sunday. And he manifests himself in a desire to play with your phone while the pastor's preaching. Oh. Oh. All of a sudden to need the toilet when you actually don't need the toilet, but you're just getting a bit antsy and you feel like taking a walk. He manifests himself in different ways. Let me tell you. He comes immediately to steal the word. He has to be present when the word's being sown in to take it immediately. So that should come as no surprise to us. Where was I? Oh, yes. Yeah. So, so getting to know the Lord. One of the simplest ways I've discovered to learn to know Jesus and get to know God is through the redemptive names of Jesus. One of the simplest ways, God, you see, God progressively revealed himself in the Old Testament to a people that were so far removed from him. He didn't come in and wham and reveal everything about himself, just like he didn't to you when you got saved. I mean, when you got saved, you still got up to a whole lot of nonsense. Know what I'm saying? You look back on your life now and you think, yes, I was saved then, but how did God let me get away with that? As you grew in your relationship with God, you became more responsible, more accountable, and your conscience, which comes from two words with knowledge, conscience with knowledge, became more sensitive 
at exposure to the Word of God. That's why the Word of God is a sword, because it cuts even a seared conscience. The more time spent in the Word, the more knowledge you have, the more sensitive you become to the voice of the Spirit. God did the same thing. In the book of Genesis, we meet God as Elohim. The simple definition is God is the creator and establisher of all natural laws. In Genesis chapter 1, God said and he saw, God said and he saw, God said. That is Elohim all the way through Genesis 1. And so what I'm going to do today, we're going to take a look just briefly at one of the ways we can get to know God. Since we're talking about supernatural, okay, let's get to know a bit more about the supernatural working and nature of God. We serve a supernatural God who can create something out of nothing. We'll see it today in the Word of God, and faith will rise in your heart to believe you for something impossible. That's where God wants to position you, see? The will of God is our home. The just shall live by faith. You should always be trusting God for something by faith. Faith is a muscle that needs to be worked every day, otherwise it atrophies. That's the problem when we get too comfortable. God is not as concerned with your comfort as what he is with your growth. And nothing grows when it's comfortable. How many of you are ready to get a bit more uncomfortable? Oh, four of you. That's wonderful. Okay, the rest of you like to sit in your armchairs. Forgive me, I don't mean to be condescending. But anyway, so now, so, so turn with me, please, or not just yet. Let me give you the initial definitions. First of all, in, God, in Genesis chapter 1, we meet God as Elohim. He is the creator and possessor of all things. There's a big difference between God as Elohim and God as El Shaddai. And I'm sure you've heard many teachings on El Shaddai. Jerry Savelle, many years ago, did a wonderful, wonderful teaching on it looks like a job for El Shaddai. And he gave a definition of El Shaddai, and this was the definition. Almighty breasty one. I am able to provide nourishment and sustenance to all my children at the same time. I am more than enough. Can somebody say El Shaddai is more than enough? So these are the two initial definitions. But as I get into the nuts and bolts and unpack these two names of God, and I only got time for two names. I'd love to get into, I'd love to get into all the others, but... Time is not permitted. So let's see, because it's supernatural theme, revival theme, let's see what we can learn about the supernatural nature of God. So there is a far deeper understanding of El Shaddai than simply God is more than enough. And as I contrast these, we're going to take a very close look and you're going to get some wonderful revelation. The angels of heaven, the angels in heaven surround the throne room of God crying, holy, holy, holy. I know the scripture is quoted many times and many believe that it's out of reverence for God. Personally, I believe because they're not all-knowing, they're not omniscient. The angels are flying around God and every time they come across another facet of God's nature, because the Bible says his attributes are eternal and infinite. They've been doing it since the beginning of what we call time. Every time they fly around the, 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 the throne of God, they see another dimension, an aspect of God's character that causes them to go, holy, holy. And just when they get used to that, they come around, holy, holy, holy. And you know what? We get saved and we go holy and we never say holy again. <laughs> They've been doing it since the beginning of time. We cannot fathom the expense, the weight, the, the height, the breadth of God's character. It is unfathomable, even to the angels. So we ought not to be satisfied with a limited understanding that we've got of the nature of God, but press into greater things. Can somebody say, remember? So turn with me to Genesis chapter 17 and verse 1. Let's begin to tackle this study. Genesis chapter 17 verse 1. As a preamble, I'd just like to mention that at this point, God had already revealed himself, revealed himself three times to Abraham. He revealed himself, first of all, in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham was 75 years old. He said, I want you to leave your mother's house, leave your father's house, leave everybody behind, and go to a land that I will show you. He was expecting this moon worshiper to step out in faith and go somewhere that he was not even aware existed. That'll preach right there, but I won't, I won't dwell on that. God ever asked you to do something or go somewhere that you didn't even know existed. Then you can appreciate the amount of faith that it took. It was like God asking you to pack up everything, leave everything, 
and just leave. Get in your car and start driving. I'll tell you, leave your job, leave everybody. Abraham had faith. And then in Genesis chapter 15, he's 83 years old. At 75, God promises him that he's going to be the father of a multitude. Isaac's still not born. In Genesis 15, he's 83 years old. The Lord says, let me help you. Takes him out underneath the night sky. He says, count the stars if you can. Abraham begins and finds out that it's impossible. Why? Because they are innumerable. And when he got frustrated and said, God, this is impossible, the Lord said, that's how many descendants you're going to have. Then in Genesis chapter 16, Abram gets involved with an Ishmael, and I'll get back to that in a moment, okay? Abram tries to sort out God's problem in his own strength. That God, that, 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 that got 13 silent years. When we try and do things for God as opposed to allowing God to do something through us, heaven shuts for 13 years because he got involved in an Ishmael. But I'll get to that in a moment. So you with me? Genesis 12, he says to leave. Genesis 16, he takes him out, shows him the sky. Genesis 16, he gets involved with an Ishmael, which earns him 13 silent years. We pick up the story in Genesis 17 and verse 1. It says this, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. This is the first time in the Bible that the Hebrew word El Shaddai, El Shaddai, is written and penned. Up until this point in time, Abraham's rev, um, limited understanding was that God was Elohim, a God that establishes all natural laws, okay? So it's the first time that God says to Abraham, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai, the superior one. This is the first time God reveals this to Abraham. God first spoke to Abraham and he was 75, as I said. Abraham only knew God as Elohim up until this point in time. He had not heard for God for 13 years because he tried to do work for God as opposed to allowing God to work through him. Sarah and Abraham could not understand or perceive all the way from Genesis 12 through to Genesis 17. Abraham and Sarah couldn't fathom how God was going to give him a child because both of their bodies were dead. They couldn't perceive how God was going to do it. They understood that God was a creator, but not how this specific thing was going to happen. So here was their understanding of God up until this point in time. Now compare the life of Sarah and Abraham for a moment to us as Christians, who also get to know God progressively. Okay? Progressive. Can somebody say progressively? That's why if there's a 10-year difference, age difference between my kids, I don't treat them the same. I don't expect the same thing from them. They're different levels of maturity. Shanna, if she was 20 and Rebecca was 10, I would expect Shanna to be working and earning money. But at 10, I wouldn't. She couldn't look at me and say, Dad, what you expect from me, you should expect from her. And that's what we do with many Christians. You see, we grow to a level of maturity. We see younger believers getting away with what looks like murder. And we're saying, <laughs> no respecter of persons. That guy comes to church once every six weeks. He just signed a $4 million, four million rand contract. Yeah, I'm still trying to sell sausages on the side of the road. Jesus, there's something wrong here. But I, as a father, know how to treat my children maturity-wise, progressively. God does exact. That's why God says, do not judge another man. You don't know where they're at. You don't know where they walk. Everybody's walk is personal. And so I will have a different expectation for my children, and I will discipline them differently. One will be disciplined far more strictly. Why? Because she's got to know. She's had 10 more years with me. She knows what makes me sad, what makes me glad, what makes me mad. My younger one is still, you know, you draw a line in the sand, don't do that. Okay, hey, 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 you know? So up until this point in time, listen to this definition, okay? The definition of Elohim, this is how Abraham and Sarah knew him. The one who makes nature, who causes it to be, who preserves it, the one who establishes all natural laws. Gravity is a natural law. It's going to work whether you believe it or not. You don't have to be saved for gravity to apply. Okay, It's a natural law. David writes about this law in Psalm 8 verses 1 through 6. I don't have time to get in there. But God is the creator of physics. 
Try jumping off this building and flapping your arms. You're going to encounter another natural law. Body mass plus acceleration is going to equal hospital. So up until this point in time, this is how they knew God. Now listen to this definition of El Shaddai. Genesis 17 verse 1, they'd only known God to a certain extent, and yet God comes with this wonderful revelation in His time. He comes and reveals this part of His nature and His character to Abram. So when He comes and He says, walk before me blameless, I'm El Shaddai, walk before me. This is what He's saying. He's saying, Abraham, I'm El Shaddai. I reserve the right to reverse natural law, to override it, to accelerate it as I deem necessary for my own. I am El Shaddai. I have the power to constrain nature, to make it do what is against itself to do. El Shaddai, you see, reserves the right to reverse anything he needs to reverse, to stop anything he needs to stop, to accelerate anything he needs to accelerate in order for his name to be glorified and for his purpose to be fulfilled in your life. God is not even considering the deadness of Sarah's womb, even though Abraham was. God is not even bringing into the equation Abraham's incapacity to produce. He doesn't even talk about what can't be done. He just says, hey, I'm here. Let's do this thing. For 24 years, Sarah and Abraham had only known God. You see, Sarah's womb was dead. If you doubt that, read Romans 4. Romans 4 verse 19. The Bible confirms it. New Testament confirms her body was dead. She couldn't produce. So they thought it was going to take a live womb for God to fulfill his promise. Why? Because they only understood God. They'd never seen a person. They'd never heard the story of Mary. The immaculate conception. They'd never heard of somebody being raised from the dead. They didn't know any. They didn't have a Bible. (laughs) They couldn't go, oh, look at this in Genesis 12. Abraham obeyed. Look, you took a step of faith. Daddy, let's do this again. It wasn't even on a piece of paper. You see, the Bible says, Hebrews 10.35, cast not away your confidence in God, wherein his great recompense of reward. Experience matters. Reading the stories and accounts of people that have done great things for God builds our faith. The Word of God builds it predominantly. But when we see of other people's confidence that was not shattered in the midst of adversity, it builds our faith. That's why when, when, when pastor prays for people and lays hands on the sick, all of a sudden the people's faith rises up and they say, listen, what God did for them, God can do for me. But they didn't have that, you see. All he had was his walk with God. And if that's all you've got, that's enough. So they'd never heard of God raising the dead. And they'd never heard of him changing natural law. That side of him had not yet been revealed. So what do they do? So Sarah now offers, to cut a long story short, she says to Abraham, here's Hagar. Because if we're going to have a kid, it's going to take a healthy body to be able to do it. You're still, you're still fertile. I mean, that's a, <laughs> that in itself will preach right there. 83 years old and still fertile and says, listen, here's Hagar. What are they doing? They're making the fundamental flaw that we are encouraged not or to avoid by Solomon in Proverbs. He says this, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. You know the people read that? You know they read that, Pastor Andrew. They say, trust the Lord with all your heart. Do not use your understanding. <laughs> the Bible says don't lean against it. He doesn't say don't use it. My sister, man, gebruik it. You know, just use a bit of understanding sometimes. It's like the guy who sits in his closet. Lord, should I wear a green tie, a blue tie, or a bow tie today? Listen, there are some things that God really doesn't care about. And you're waiting to hear about silly things that you should be using your understanding for. God doesn't say anything. You say to your wife, that's it. I'm not moving until God speaks. And then you get analysis paralysis. And you don't do anything. You're like a dog staring at the headlights. I'm waiting for God. I'm waiting for God. I'm waiting for God. Listen, if God doesn't say anything within the first 10 years, chances are he's saying choose. I don't care whether you're a blue tie or whether you wear a gray tie. We overcomplicate things sometimes. He says, do not lean on your own understanding. He didn't say, don't use it. It's okay to use it. He gave it to you. As long as it doesn't become your plumb line. 
So here Abram and Sarah are using their understanding of God as their plumb line, their limited understanding. And God is requiring a shift. God is requiring a change. He's saying, listen, wake up. I understand that what you know about me is not enough to get you into the next season. But here I am. Listen to what I'm saying to you. Listen to what this man of God that was born in Rhoda but grew up in a Manzimtoti and now lives in Edenvale, has come to tell you. You didn't know I was born in Rudderport. And then I moved to Toti. You know why? Because all my family lives in Rudderport. No. <laughs> oh, man, my cousin's here today. Where are they? They said they were going to come. You see, this proves my point. They said they were going to come this morning. They obviously just got lost. See, love believes the best. That's Jesus in me. The Andre and me is thinking, I'm going to find them the moment I get out of here. Why can't you keep your word? Okay. So this cannot be the Abraham of Romans 4. Romans 4 says, Abraham, a man fully persuaded. When Sarah says, yes, Hagar, Abraham should have said, woman, oh, ye of little faith. God called me, set me in the front. I'm blessed of the Lord. I don't need her. I trust in the Lord. No, some translation said she offered a Hagar. Abraham hastily complied. <laughs> you read Romans 4 and you wonder how on earth this doesn't reconcile. Read Romans. It says, would, uh, against hope, in hope, believe that God would. You read all these scriptures and you think, yes, today. And he was just so quick to embrace Hagar. <laughs> Things were a bit more liberal back then. So this can't be. <laughs> He didn't argue, nor did he stand for faith. Abraham here hastily complies. There's not an ounce of faith in it. Why? Because of his limited knowledge of God. Let me tell you, you'll always end up doing stupid things when you don't believe God can. God said to Moses, is my arm too short? Can I not do this thing? You see, sometimes our limited revelation of God, and this is what it stems to. This is why Paul said, listen to me, folks. He said, my determined purpose is that I may know him, become progressively more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving the wonders of his person and his power. Notice his person before his power. Everybody wants the power before the person. You want revival, get the person, then the power will follow. We need to get the order right. And he knew, Paul knew, that if I was going to live the impossible life and do what God wanted me to do, I cannot compromise on my intimate walk with Jesus. That is a non-negotiable for me. But churches the world over are trying to live off their pastor's revelation. They come to church on a Sunday. It's the only time they open the Bible. You will never amount to anything in the kingdom nor be a kingdom contributor if you want to live off your pastor's revelation. Saul gave David his armor. David said, I can't live with your revelation. If I'm going to slay the giants in my life, I've got to go down to the brook, the word of God. And I've got to stoop down low and I've got to pick up pebbles for myself. I've got to get my own armor to beat my own giant. Because they don't pick up the Bible for themselves. And this is what Paul is saying. And, and God here is helping Abraham. So, so we think, well, how could Abraham just not grasp this? Well, simply because of his limited revelation, understanding of God. Say this with me. Let's say this together. Say this. You cannot operate. It said this. I cannot operate beyond the revelation of God that I have of him. It's like having a good friend, maybe a best friend. You never ask him what he does. You just enjoy spending time with him. He's a dentist, a tax specialist, a neurosurgeon, and also a financial analyst. And then one day, you're playing golf and you're crying. <laughs> and he says, what's wrong? He said, you don't understand my problems. He says, no, just share them with me. He said, listen, I just got a tax bill for 350,000 rand from the tax man. I was diagnosed with a tumor on my brain. I've got such toothache, I can hardly play this stupid game. And he looks at you and says, but I'm a tax specialist. I'm a dentist. And I'm a neurosurgeon. I can help you. With and you look, you are? But we've been friends for years. He says, well, you never asked what I did. That's what we have over here. The Lord's rocking up to solve Abram's problem, but because of his limited, intimate knowledge of his best and closest friend, he is completely incapacitated, even though God can 
Abraham won't. So having the knowledge of God as creator is not enough. For Abraham, it wasn't enough. In order for Sarah to have a child, a natural law was going to have to be broken. It was going to have to be overwritten, but that was not a job for Elohim. That was only a job for El Shaddai. And so God does Abraham this mercy, and he rocks up into his life. Go with me, please, to Genesis chapter 17 and verse 1. Say this while you're looking for it. Whoever I'm seeking is seeking me. So when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am El Shaddai, walk before me and be blameless. God is coming to Abram and saying to him, I'm the one who reserves the right, Abraham, to reverse natural law, to override it, to constrain it. I can override your dead body and her dead womb. Now walk before me and be blameless. He's saying, Abraham, I'm not only a God that creates stuff, but I'm a God that fixes stuff. I'm not only a God that creates stuff, but I'm a God that fixes stuff. But Abraham still had a problem with this. You'll see Genesis 17 goes into a dialogue with God speaking to Abraham, Abraham speaking to God. We'll get to that in a moment. But I just want to quickly revisit this Ishmael story. Just quickly, because many of us have given birth to Ishmaels. And we do so sometimes on a regular basis. We almost have as many Ishmaels as we do Isaacs. And let me say this, God will never acknowledge an Ishmael. When he was called to sacrifice Isaac, he says, Abraham, take your only son, thine only son. He didn't recognize any work of the flesh. God will never recognize any work of the flesh. The Bible says in John, what is flesh is flesh and what is spirit is spirit. What's flesh cannot become spirit. So we want to rush out. Abraham wanted to fix God's problem and have a child. And God says, when it came time to recognize it, he did not even consider Ishmael. He said, bring your only son, Isaac. God wants to do a miracle through you that is completely inexplicable and, unprod- and, and cannot be produced in the natural. So Abraham still wanted God somehow to get the deal done the natural way, and he gives birth to Ishmael, and God doesn't speak to him for 13 years. Say this after me, and you need to, you do well to remember this. As a church, we would do well. Say this, God is not obligated to finish something he did not start. He is not obligated, nor will he ever be obligated to finish something. So you better make sure that in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. In the beginning of this relationship, is God there? In the beginning of this business, is God there? I love the Amplified Translation of Galatians 4. I love it. It says this in verse 22 and verse 23. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and the other by the free woman. But the one one of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. The Amplified Version says the ordinary way. And he of the free woman through the promise. Listen, if you don't have a promise, you don't take a step forward. If you do not have a promise where God says you can have the very thing that you want Do not take another step. Listen, an ordinary birth will always produce an ordinary result. And in this case, this ordinary birth, which was Ishmael, notice that thing that was born in the flesh has never become spirit and can never become spirit. The same applies for business. The same applies, I hope you are making the connect here. I'm speaking about the life of Abraham, but in the spirit, I hope you are pulling it into your modern context, right now into your narrative. The life that you are living right now, the decisions you are making, the person you are dating, the business you are looking to establish for the kingdom. Let me tell you what, if it's of the flesh, it will never be born into the spirit. Never. It cannot be. You can try and bribe God. You can give him as much worship offerings as you want. God is not obligated to start something he did not finish. Make sure in the beginning, God. So everything that has an ordinary birth, not listening to God, not obeying the Lord, will always have an ordinary result. God will never recognize and reward the works of the flesh. Never, ever, ever. I'm skipping along here to find my place. Galatians 3.29, let's skip that, let's skip that. Okay, so let's go back. 
Uh, let's go back to Genesis 17. And I'm going to summarize this because I'm going to close with these three wonderful examples in the Bible of how God operates as El Shaddai. So in Genesis chapter 17, from verse 15 through to 19, you see the dialogue between Abram and God. God has rocked up and said, listen, I'm a God of the impossible. I can reverse, accelerate, constrain natural law, make it do what is against itself to do. You don't have to worry. You can jump off the building and flap your arms and I can make you fly if it's in my will. I can do this kind of thing. I can heal her body completely. I can make, I can make a promise fulfilled. That's all you need is my promise. That's all you need is my word. So, and if you got your Bibles, it says there, then God, in brackets, you can put El Shaddai. Then El Shaddai said to Abraham, for Sarai, your wife, shall, um, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be your name. And I will bless her, he goes on to say. Then verse 17, it says, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, listen, Doubt doesn't need to be spoken. When it's spoken, it's already too late. It says here, Abraham doubted in his heart. In verse 18, then Abraham had said to Elohim, oh, that Ishmael, my love before you. You go look at the direct translations from English into Hebrew. And you'll see when God speaks to Abraham, he's saying, I'm a God of the impossible. I'm able to reverse, accelerate, constrain natural law, make it do what's against itself to do. When Abraham speaks to God, he says, Elohim, oh, creator of natural law, I'm still a muhu. You're not going to get past this. I still need you. Oh, won't you bless Ishmael? Won't you fix this business that I know I disobeyed you in planting? Won't you, won't you fix this girl that I'm dating? Or that I'm engaged to? Now, if you're married, it's a different story. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've had people come to me and say, yes, see, that was a word from the Lord. I've been looking to get out of our marriage. That puppy was birthed in the flesh, man. I'm saying, no, 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 no. That's different. The husband is sanctified by the wife. The wife sanctified by the husband. But so Abraham, so Abraham saying of you, oh, that this work of the flesh might live before you. Let me tell you, when the, when the foundation's corrupt, the best thing you can do is eliminate the whole thing, dig up the foundation and lay another one. Because there can be no foundation except that of Jesus, Corinthians tells us. So Abraham, but eventually Abraham gets it. Thank God. To cut a long story short, Abraham gets it finally. How does he get it? God helps him. He changes his name. He changes his name from Abram to Abraham. Why? Because from the abundance of a man's lips, he will enjoy good things. Proverbs 18, 21, life and death are in the power of the tongue. So Abraham begins to tell everybody, even though he's still a bit caught up in the flesh, he begins to tell everybody, I'm the father of multitude. I'm the father of many nations. I'm the father, even when the Egyptians looked at him and said, where's your family? He says, "Uh, I'm the father of many nations. I'm the father at 99. He's like this. Oh, is it? Where's all your family? family, it doesn't matter. I'm the father of multitude. I'm the father of many nations. Why? Because he becomes the man in Romans 4, who in hope against hope believed, in faith against faith, that God was able to fulfill his promise. Abraham says that. Now I'm going to close off with three illustrations and then we're going to pray for people. I believe I can sense God stirring the hearts of so many people here today. You might be a businessman and saying, oh, Pastor Andre, you know what? Does this really mean that God can start something with nothing? God's plan of redemption for man did not come with him operating as Elohim, but as him operating as El Shaddai. Luke chapter 1, we read about the virgin birth of Mary. What a wonderful result. Hey? All she needed was God. That's all she needed. She had, because, hey, listen, to get into the birds and bees, I hope there are no young kids here, but in order to conceive, you need seed and you need egg. There was no seed. There was only egg. And God, because you see, naturally, for a child to be born, a man and woman must come together. Now, there's not going to be any more immaculate conceptions. Jesus was the only one, okay? He's the only one. But when we take a look at God acting in this situation, Mary, and it's been, you want another life scripture of mine? This was, I learned this from Mary. Be it unto me according to thy word. Whatever the angel says. He came across her and told her, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be with child from the most high God. She didn't say like Abraham, oh, that me and Joseph can just, and bless that thing. She just says, in the absence of capital to start what God has called her to start, in the absence of capital, she just says, be it unto me according to thy word. Your promise is enough. And cake God. 
She gets overshadowed by the Holy Ghost. Listen, you need the Spirit and you need the Word to create. In the beginning, the Spirit hovered upon the face of the deep, but nothing happened. Even the full manifested presence of the Holy Ghost is on you. It's not enough when God said, when the Word came. When the Word came and met the Holy Ghost, all of a sudden, bam, the big boom and things were created. We limit God. You think Holy Spirit meetings are all you need for revival? No, 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 no. You need the Word and you need the Spirit. You need both. Worship services are wonderful. Anointing services are wonderful, but if you don't have the Word as a foundation, it will not create. It will look beautiful, and it will feel wonderful. You know the place, you <laughs> You'll get goosebumps, but nothing will change. Nothing will be created in the absence of this thing. So that's the first thing. God, in our redemption, shows and rocks up as El Shaddai, a God that is able to do the impossible. Take a look at the second one in John chapter 2. Now, how does that apply to us? Because there's no virgin birth. If you're trusting God to do something natural and you don't have the means, you can trust God, get a word from God, and it will be done. Why? Because he's El Shaddai. You just got to look at your situation and say, hey, it looks like a job for El Shaddai. This looks like a job for El Shaddai. It doesn't look like a job for Jehovah Rapha, not for Jehovah Nissi, not for Jehovah Tiskindu, not for Jehovah Shammah, not for Jehovah Makadesh. The Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and they are safe. When I need a job that requires El Shaddai, I call upon the name. And this looks like a job. Your building looks like a job for El Shaddai. In the natural, a church of 500 people, 600 people cannot sustain in the natural or raise the funds in the natural to see a building put up in 15, 16 months. But I believe in El Shaddai. You can have a building without resources. God will bring the resources. Why? Because natural law says get a bond, pay it off over 20 years, get into debt, suffer, and then maybe. I'm called to supernatural life. I've got no problem with people saying, praise the Lord, I paid my bond off in 20 years. I know some Satan worshipers that do that. That's ordinary. When you pay your bond off in four years, that's where I feel a whole of the Holy Ghost. That's where I sense. You You get a promotion every five years, you praise the Lord, that's wonderful. I'm not saying it didn't come from God, all good things come from God. But you know, I know people that don't know the Lord, that curse, drink, swear, beat their wives, that get three promotions a year. I'm talking about supernatural, a bit of God's super. How many of you are ready for a bit of God's super on your natural? I'm, I'm ready. I want to live that life. Listen, when I left South African Airways, my friends told me, you're crazy to go into ministry. You're not going to get to fly for free any in the world. You're going to have to sit there in Kempton Park and just do your thing. I'd worked for Airways for five years. I'd flown once. Now I spend six to seven months out of this country, India, uh, India, Mexico, um, where did I go? Tell me. India, hey? Oh, all over. Australia, New Zealand, London. I've, that's what I do. We've got 45 colleges around the world. And so people look at me now, these guys from Airways, they look at me like, oh. I'm living a supernatural life. How many of you really live a supernatural life? I'm coming into land. Just two more examples, then we're going to pray. The next one in John chapter 2. We've taken a look now of an example how God made nature do what is against itself. Let's see how God accelerates time. John chapter 2. And this is my testimony. That's why this one means so much to me. To take a good wine takes two to three years. A brilliant wine takes five to six years. Five to six years. See, at the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee, it's like a man said, oh, I love it when he teaches about wine. This pastor sanctioning my... I'm a sipping saint, and I've got no problem with that. But So the guy said to me, so he came to me after, I've had many come to me and say, hey, Pastor Andres, so it's good to drink wine. I said, okay, listen, put a glass of water on the table. If you can turn into wine, drink it. If you can't, stay away from it. <laughs> Just simply put, you know. They want to make it, a, why does everybody want to make it about the wine? You know, forget the miracle. Forget the servants who had never met Jesus, but obeyed him. With full abandonment. They could have lost their jobs. But she just said, Mary said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And that thing will preach right there. Whatever he tells you to do, do that thing. And they obeyed. They weren't even being paid by Jesus. They weren't being employed by Jesus. He had just come out of the wilderness after 40 days of fasting. But they must have seen something in them that wanted to make him obey him. And so what happens is, the master of ceremony says, most people save the best 
we give the best wine first and then the cheap stuff for later. He says, you've saved the best to last. Listen, herein lies the miracle. That not only was the water turned to wine, but Jesus accelerated time without anybody else growing old around that table. None of them aged by 10 years. Just the wine. All of a sudden, God's super, El Shaddai, rocks up. He accelerates five to six years, that vat. So when that guy tastes it, he says, listen, this is incredible. Let me tell you, you think you're running out of time. God's about to accelerate time for you right now. God is about to do something, and he doesn't have to age anybody around you. He just needs to grow your wisdom. Thank God my wife's saying amen. I became dean of a Bible college when I was 28 years old. You want to know pressure? <laughs> the first email I got was from, from a guy in India. Dr. Andre, I didn't have my title in. Pastor Andre, did Adam have a navel? The pressure to know stuff became so overwhelming. I thought, oh God, I spent at least a month on that puppy because internet wasn't blacker then. So you had to get books. Did Adam have a navel? Navel, navel. Ah, oh, I wore me out. Eventually I said, I don't care. It doesn't matter. So people say to me at 29, how can you be dean of a Bible college? Listen, God told me once, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30, when I laid in a fetal position, crawled up in my office, crying and weeping, because now I'd got this title, but I understood the pressure, the responsibility. God said to me, Andre, I've become your wisdom. Therefore, you can expect to know what to do in every situation. I am El Shaddai. I will accelerate your knowledge. I will accelerate your retention. I will accelerate your understanding. I will accelerate your business acumen, because I was just a panel beater. That's what I was. I was an aircraft panel beater. John 2 for me has been lived out in my life. God accelerated natural law to get me to do what he needed me to do. And for that, he gets all the glory. So I'm thinking, you think you're too young. You think you're too, you're too ill-equipped. I'm telling you, God's about to do something. And here is my final, my final illustration for those that think they're too old to do anything for God. Joshua chapter 10. One of the greatest miracles the Bible says, never, never since or before has God answered the prayers of a man like this that happened over here. Joshua was fighting the five southern kings. He was about to battle the Amorites. They'd come against him and wanted to destroy him and his, and the, and his cohort. And what happens, the Bible says they entered into engaged in a battle. And while they were fighting, listen, you know what the amazing thing about this is, Pastor Andrew? God did this miracle for a fight. He says this, sun stands still over Gibeon. Moon stands still over the valley of Aijalon. Now we think the sun just stood still. You don't understand this. This El Shaddai God I'm talking about, the one that is able to accelerate, reverse, constrain natural law, make it do what is against itself to do. He stopped the universe from expanding. You can't in the universe, it's like a clock. It operates perfectly. You can't just stop one thing without everything else from stopping. So not only did God stop the earth from rotating on its axis, for 23 and a half hours, stopped it rotating on its axis. He stopped the sun from being consumed. He stopped the universe from expanding. He stopped time so the guy could win a fight. And if you've ever been to Israel, you'll notice how small geographically that, 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 that land mass is. And it affected everything. So how does that apply today? You might be well on in years and you're saying, I don't know if God, you know, my time, my season has ended. Listen, God can stop time. He's done it before. And he may not have to stop the universe again. He may not have to stop the sun from being consumed. He may not have to stop the earth on its axis. But I'm telling you now, he can stop time for you. And he can make sure that he gives you enough time to do what you need to do. Maybe it's time with your kids. Maybe your child is about to leave home and you're saying, God, I haven't done everything that I was supposed to do. I haven't given them of myself. I wish I had more time. I'm here to tell you today that God can do it for you. That your relationships with your kids can be restored before you think it's too late. This is the Jesus. Listen to me. This is the Jesus I serve. You want to talk about revival? You want to talk about miracle? it's a miracle season? You want to talk about God of the miraculous? You have to understand that my God still does miracles today. And he's about to do more miracles right here. Right now, 
I don't know where your expectation is. I don't know what it is you're trusting God for, but I can sense his presence. God accompanies his word with signs following. We may fail. He never fails. We may be faithless. He remains faithful. Listen, God is about to do something wonderful for each and every one of you who will dare to believe him. Is God's arm too short? Do you believe God can create something out of nothing? He can. Listen to me. He can and he will. He will. Keep your eyes on Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. I've given you so many scriptures here today. I believe faith is present in your heart. I don't know what it is you're trusting God for, but right now, is that okay, Pastor Andrew? Can I go into a time of ministry? If you're trusting God for something, if while I've been speaking, the Lord has resonated something inside of you, maybe something was dead. Listen to me. There's somebody here tonight. Sorry, today. There's somebody here today. You're saying my opportunity was passed. I've missed it. It could be a business partner that ran away with everything you had. And left you completely broken. Not only financially, but you thought to yourself, listen, how can a friend do this to me? Completely lost. And you think you've passed that barrier. You've passed that line. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Jesus specializes in bringing dead dreams back to life again. There are many dead dreams. I sense in my heart there are many dead dreams here this afternoon. If that's you, I want to pray with you. I believe Jesus is going to come into your life. He's going to come into this situation as El Shaddai. Up until now, you see the synagogues the world over are filled with people that only know God as a God of natural law. And you can't blame them for always trying to fix things, but this is not the atmosphere we're in today. We're not into an atmosphere of, Lord, let me fix this. We're in an atmosphere right now where you're coming to the altar and you're saying, God, you can fix this. If that's you, I want you to come to the front, please, quickly. I'm going to pray with you. Come forward. If you want prayer for anything, any three, any of those illustrations, let's trust the Lord together. Can we maybe get somebody playing worship or just, let's just worship the Lord together. I know, we, I know I've gone way beyond time. Please forgive me, Pastor Andrew, folks. If, okay, so if you need to be somewhere, I do understand that, but I believe the Lord is going to do something wonderful here this morning. There's an overwhelming presence of God. I'm going to ask, please, that when I lay hands, that there is a man catcher behind the people. I'm not saying that everybody was slain in the spirit, but I just want to be prepared if there are people. If there are people. You know exactly why you're here. I don't need to know why you're here. God has anointed me just like he anointed Jesus. The Bible says in 3 John that we have an anointing from the Holy One. 2 John. I'm going to lay hands on you in this anointing. The burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God will come upon you, and the Lord will meet you at your need. This is a contact point. I'm combining my faith with yours. God is about to accomplish His word with signs following, and He will do this by His Spirit. It is not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. We're going to have wonderful testimonies, wonderful breakthroughs, wonderful miracles. At this moment, at this time, this is my will for you, my child. I've waited with bated breath to reveal myself to you as a God of compassion and love who desperately wants to see you living a life of breakthrough and a life of the supernatural. It's why you came and served me. It's why I'm here right now. Not for your glory, but for mine. When you excel, when you live a supernatural life, I receive the glory for it. I desire for my name to be lifted up, for my name to be lifted high through you. Days of great breakthrough are coming your way. This is a season of miracles, says the Lord. Over the next five years, I will be releasing my spirit upon those who pursue me, those who decide and choose to draw, withdraw from the world and spend time with me. I will reveal myself in a dimension not previously known to that individual. I will create room and I will create greater capacity for the miraculous in their life. It's a season for souls. 
my goodness upon you will cause many to come to repentance. Sombra masse birda bosh mande glida bayondro mos arde gilabra dosha sembre bisa cordo bosha. I'm penetrating through because of your faith. Father, I pray that as I lay my hands upon these people that they would receive. Everybody say this after me. Say, Heavenly Father, when hands are laid upon me, I thank you, I praise you, and I receive that burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God. I thank you that this word today will be accompanied with signs following my life will never be the same again. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I receive it, not because I deserve it, but because of your mercy. Have mercy on me, Lord. Give me what I don't deserve. Withhold from me what I do deserve. Pour out your blessing on my life. I'm hungry for you. In the name of Jesus, I receive. 